Uh, my name is Pastor Kevin, and uh, excited to be here today. Uh, one of the benefits of being in a, in, in, in a church like we are is we get to have the kids come in and do worship with us, which is very fun. And uh, it always challenges me when I see how much enthusiasm they, they, they have when they, when they worship. Uh, this morning, as we get into God's Word, I was thinking about, we've been studying through the, the book of Acts. We've been looking at the last couple of weeks, been looking at the story of Pentecost. And the story of Pentecost is just so powerful because there are so many miracles that we see in, in the story of Pentecost. We saw the mighty sound of the rushing wind. We saw the tongues of fire that came and rested upon all the believers there at Pentecost. Uh, we read, uh, we read of the boldness and the passion that, that God gave Peter. And we even, we read last week of the miracle that through Peter's message, 3,000 people came to know Christ and were baptized into the church. And you look at all these miracles and you think, man, that's, that's such a great story. And you come to the end of chapter 2, the end of Pentecost, and you think the miracles are over. You think, you know, it's over. But the reality is the miracles are not over yet. The people, they did not go home after the fireworks were over. Most people in our day, you come to church and you expect to be at church for about 70 minutes. And you expect that's kind of the anticipation of what church is going to be. Uh, you might expect after the story that we've just read last week of these 3,000 people getting baptized. You kind of think, well, maybe the story is over. Maybe the story is over. However, Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, where we'll be today, he insists that we witness something that is just as significant and miraculous. Pentecost wasn't over when it was over. The people did not scatter after church at one o'clock because church was over. It wasn't back to the same old thing. They became a new people, a committed band of new believers. They became a new family. The name that we use for this new group of people is called the church. And the, the people of the church are the people whom God has called out and set apart for the purpose of of the gospel, for the purpose of God's mission, which is for us, which is to know Christ and to make Christ known. And so this miracle of first, uh, what God did first is he called people into a relationship with him, and then he put them into the community of the church. This is a special significance and importance for us today. It is a crucial conclusion of Pentecost, because the church's mission, the church's mission is not just to create converts which they've done. The church's mission is, as Matthew says, to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I command. And so this assimilating, this new community becomes a miracle in itself for us to learn and to be challenged from. So if you have a Bible, we're in Acts chapter 2 today. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, if you want to just slip your hand up, we've got a usher who's got a, got a number of Bibles and we'd love to put one in your hands. Uh, the only thing I ask is if you take a Bible, take it home. We don't want it back. Let it be our gift to you. So we're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 47 today. Excuse me, I lied. We're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42. We're going to read through 47. Uh, let's pray and read this together. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we live in a country that we can come and we can open up your word together and read it and, and hear it. And Lord, I pray that as we come and as we, we see this, Lord, that we'll ask those two questions of, God, what does this mean? And then just as important, God, what do we do now? What shall we do now? Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on us and speak to our hearts. Lord, give us ears to hear today. Lord, we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So in our text today, it seems as though verse 42 is a great summary statement. Verse 42 becomes a summary statement of how the church lived after God added these 3,000 people to their number. And then it seems that verses 43 through 47, they kind of unpacked the summary. They kind of explain the summary a bit further. So as you look at verse 42, the key word in verse 42, you see this word devoted. Most of our Bible versions use this same word, devoted. But let's try and understand what really is the meaning behind this word of devoted. Uh, One New Testament Greek scholar translated the word to mean this. Devoted to mean to persevere, to give constant attention to one thing, to be steadfastly attentive to, to give unremitting care to, to wait on continually, and to be in constant readiness for one. You see, these new believers, they were devoted to these things. They, they, may, they, they, they were in constant uh, in their commitment to the church because God had given them new life. God had set them free from sin. God had saved them. And nothing else seemed to matter but this relationship with God and this relationship with this people that God had given them. Completely devoted. Hernando Cortez was a great Spanish explorer. And when he landed in Veracruz, Mexico in 1519, he was intent on taking his army and conquesting. And so to assure the devotion of his people, Cortez did something very dramatic. He set fire to his entire fleet of 11 ships. And with no means of retreat, Cortez's army had only one direction to move. Inward to the land. Cortez understood that the price of commitment that his people needed to make in order to fulfill their mission. He understood that the devotion they had to make had to be full steam ahead with the mission that God had had given them. Now, I'm not sure that the early church needed to start setting fires, but you can clearly see the devotion that they have in this text. You can clearly see how devoted they were to God's people and to his church. It makes me think about some of the things that we become devoted to in our day. I mean, how many of us, you may not want to answer this honestly, how many of us are so devoted to a television show? You know exactly what time it's going to come on? I'll admit, for me, (laughs) the show that I was extremely devoted to was Deadliest Catch. It's the silliest show because it's the same thing episode after episode after episode. But you know what? Each week, I'm anxiously waiting for the next one to start. I'm anxiously waiting to watch the same thing that happened the last episode happen again. But we become so, so devoted to things like a TV show. What about any sports fans in here? Anybody just devoted to your sports team? Seahawks? Don't you hate when the Seahawks play on the East Coast because it's right during, 
Sunday morning? Never mind, that's another story. We become so devoted to things like this. What about, what about, what about becoming so devoted to our job that you begin working crazy hours? And what about, what about, do you ever become so devoted to sales that you've got to find the right sale and you're willing to do whatever it takes to find the sale? Not all these, not all of these are bad things, okay? But we put our devotion in so many things. But what about the church? What about putting our devotion to the things of God? Here, verse 42 summarizes the the early church had four things that they were completely devoted to. To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. And each one of these four things shows up in in, in verses 43 through 47. So let's look at these four things that they were committed to, and let's challenge ourselves to become, to have that same kind of devotion. Number one says that first they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And verse 43 carries further and says, Fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now the apostles here are mentioned in verse 42 for their teaching, and in verse 43 they're mentioned for their miracles. And it says that fear and awe had filled all the believers. Okay, But this fear and awe that has filled the believers, it needs to be tied back to our text from last week. Because remember, if you were here last week, the Holy Spirit performed this miracle in the disciples. And, and he allowed the disciples to speak in all these languages that they'd never learned before. And they were speaking in tongues. And the crowd was amazed and the crowd was perplexed. And remember the question that they asked? They said, what does this mean? And after that, and after they asked that question of what does this mean, Peter preaches his first sermon And he preached to the same crowd. And in verse 47, or excuse me, verse 37, the crowd cried out with a different question. They said, what shall we do? You see, this expression of fear, this question of what shall we do, was an expression of fear, an expression of reverence to God. And it was due to Paul's preaching, not just because the miracles that God did through them. I'm not sure if you caught this last week, but... The crowd had just seen the amazing miracles done by Peter and the apostles. And, and, and he saw, they saw these, these amazing miracles. Now, how many, of those, how many of those people in the crowd were converted because of the miracles? Not one. It says that the miracles caught the attention of the crowd, and it left them amazed and perplexed. But it was the preaching and teaching of Peter that brought conviction and repentance to the people. So when verse 43 says that there was an ongoing sense of fear among the believers, I wonder if we shouldn't say that this fear is owing to what they had been taught and to the wonders and signs that they, that, that they had seen. In other words, when the early church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, they also had in mind the many wonders and signs that were done through the apostles' hands. This is what caused the whole community to stand in awe of God's power. The teaching of the apostles was nothing to be trifled with. When they spoke, God worked. When they spoke, God worked. And there was a sense of wonder and awe and fear at the utter stark reality of what they said and did. And so the early church became devoted to the apostles' teaching in the context of awe-inspiring wonders and signs. Now, the early church, they did not have yet the completed word of God. The New Testament was still being shaped and formed by what the apostles were teaching in that, in that very time. 
And so we would say today that we are still devoted to the apostles' teaching because we have God's word. And the apostles' teaching is right here. Second, the second thing that they were devoted to, verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. (laughs) Now, when we hear the word fellowship, we have a lot of things that come to mind when we hear that. And most of the things that we think of a fellowship are pretty tame. We think of simple togetherness. And that is certainly a part of it. And that is certainly a part of the church. But Luke seems to focus on another more radical meaning of fellowship. You see, the word fellowship in the Greek, you may not care about this, but it's interesting to point out. Uh, uh, The word fellowship comes from the word koinonia, which is built on the root meaning of koina, which means common, having in common, sharing. So this is why I think that you see Luke here in verses 44 and 45 begins unpacking this idea of fellowship that we read in verse 42. And in verse 44, it speaks of having possessions in common. Again, because this word common is the, is the root word for the word of fellowship. So here is, here is part of what fellowship looked like in the early church. Verses 44 and 45 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. This word fellowship means having things in common. In a moment, Luke's going to talk about times of eating and praying together and celebrating together. And that's what we usually call fellowship. And that is true of fellowship. But this is not Peter's first description and illustration of fellowship. His first illustration is that the believers were so bonded together that if one of them was in need, the others did not feel that they had the right to live on in prosperity without giving up something to meet another person's need. So they would sell their possessions and use the money to meet the needs of the poor in the church. Now, when we approach a text like this, this text can be very challenging to us. It can almost be threatening to us because oftentimes we own lots of things and we've worked hard for what we have. And we say, I've worked hard for this. It's mine. It belongs to me. And so we read this story and we are, we are very quick to defend ourselves and point out here that there is no coercion here. The selling of the property is all voluntary. Absolutely. And we like to point out that there is no command here that we should do the same thing because the early church did it. There's no command that says you have to do it just like this is described. And we might even claim that this was just an early experiment in communal life. And in fact, you'll see later throughout Scripture, especially in Romans 15, you'll see that this wasn't overly successful because there became uh, poor, many poor Christians in Jerusalem 20 years later. But listen up, we need to be very careful here. Because oh, how easy it is for us to justify our lifestyles and our attachment to things by writing off threatening texts. There's no doubt in my mind that Luke recorded this fellowship because it was praiseworthy. Luke admired the sacrificial love for the sake of the needy. He was giving the well-to-do Theophilus and well-to-do Christians a lesson in the way that Christians who stand in awe of God handle their possessions. In fact, as you look at the other book that Luke wrote, the book of Luke, this is one of Luke's great passions, that Christians use their possessions for the needs of others and not just for their own comforts. 
Uh, Luke alone tells the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Luke, again, the only one of the gospel stories that tells a parable of the rich fool who built bigger and bigger barns to hold all, all of his stuff. And the very night, God took his life and all of his stuff wasted. And, 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 and Luke, again, is the only one that tells the story of the great banquet and the people who wouldn't come to God's banquet because they had fields and cattle to tend to. And the story of the dishonest manager in Luke 16. And the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke, uh, as well as in Luke 16. You see, more than any other New Testament writer, Luke stresses the danger of letting our life consist of the things that we possess. Now, I remember as a young believer reading this text, and, and, and I saw verses 44 and 45. They sold their stuff to give to the poor. And I said, isn't this communism? Isn't this communism? But I want to point out a subtle but significant difference. This could be defined as communism as opposed to communism. You see, communism, which we know fails, is, says, has the idea that thine is mine. Has the idea that thine is mine. But communism, which we see here with the, with, with the disciples, with the early church, it carries the idea that mine is thine. It's voluntary. It's a very striking difference from what you have is mine to, you know, what I have, I'm willing to share. We learned later during Acts that this system was tempering and had its problems. But the point is to be made that the attitude in which they cared for each other and the way that they supported each other and the way that they loved each other and said, you know what? If I have something that I can share, I'm going to do that with my brother in need. The third thing that we read that they were devoted to was the breaking of bread. Verse 42 again says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Now this verse is unpacked further in verse 46. And it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts. Now this breaking of bread, uh, this breaking of bread, has two meanings, includes two meanings in this text. First, it refers, it refers to the Lord's Supper, communion, which we'll be celebrating this morning as a church. But this breaking of bread also refers to a, a simple table fellowship, normal, regular meals. But the statement here in verse 46, that partaking of food with glad and generous hearts, shows that togetherness was a precious thing to the believers in the early church. They loved to be together, especially over meals. It seems like they were together with each other in this way almost every day on a regular basis of saying, let's eat together, let's be together, let's spend time together. And this was uh, the kind of love that the early Christians had for each other when they stood in awe of God. Now this idea of fellowship over a meal, I want us to understand the significance of it. You know, we're looking at a church and we're saying, how can we do some things together where we can fellowship together? How can we eat meals together? We're going to do some different things over the summer, picnics in the park, and some, some things that we can be together as a group. But beyond that, we're also going to look and say, how can we be, be together in, in each other's homes? You see, I learned something when I served at Madison House. I served at Madison House, a youth center downtown for seven years. And I learned that one of the most valuable times of the day was at dinner time. It was absolutely at dinner time. Because there's, there's something, when you come and you're working with these kids who are at risk and they have all these issues, 
When you sit down across the table from them, you look at them eye to eye, you have a conversation with them over the meal. Walls are torn down faster than any other thing that we could do at Madison House. We worked with these kids, and I tell you what, all these things that we did for them, mentoring, and we did uh, tutoring, and sports, and, and all these different things, the most effective place for us was to sit across the table from a kid and connect with them. So when Peter says that they connected over the fellowship meal, it's significant because relationships are built around that table. Walls are broken down. And finally, verse 42 says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and number four, to the prayers. I see this in verse 47, where it says, praising God and having favor with all people. When they gathered together, whether it was in the big, big group at church, in the temple, or when they ate together in the homes, Luke says that they focused on God. They praised God. These were not the kind of churchy get-togethers where you can talk all night about church, but never about Jesus. Never about Jesus. In fact, there's a number of us that were doing a prayer walk downtown yesterday. And there was a, a group that was meeting, and they were talking about faith and, 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 and healing that, that God has. We said, that's great. Well, you know, is that healing come from the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, of Jesus dying on the cross? No, we don't talk about that. We just talk about Jesus, about, about love. We don't talk about Jesus and what he did for us. <laughs> it's kind of some of those churches today. You know, we talk about the church, but we never really talk about Jesus. But here we see that when they got together, when they, they were in touch with each other, they, they also got in touch with God. They prayed together. Now, as you look at this text, you begin to see something very unique and important. You see, this, real, this early church, really what it became was a family. It became a family. They grew together through the teaching of the apostles. They supported each other's needs and love. They spent time together eating in each other's homes, and they prayed together. And, and we see this beautiful picture of a family. We see this beautiful picture of what a church should and could look like. And the most miraculous thing from this text, the most miraculous thing from this small family that's been created is that verse 47 says that the Lord added to their number day by day. This is so miraculous to me because when you create a nucleus of people, when you create a close-knit group of people, a family, so to speak, it is so difficult to assimilate new people into that group. Because when you've got this close-knit group and they like each other and they enjoy each other, bringing somebody new in, it breaks up the camaraderie. Or they threaten the standard of expectations that the group has. And so when you get a close-knit group, what they tend to do is they tend to turn into themselves and huddle around themselves and not inviting other people in. You've seen this experience. You've seen this and you've experienced this in your life. Where there's a group of people and you're the new guy. And no matter what you try, no matter how hard you try, you always feel like you're the odd man out. You feel like I can never break into the mold of what's existing. Unfortunately, there are churches out there that are just like this. They have a core group of people and the people like each other. And they like the intimate feeling and they're comfortable and safe with where they are. And so they become, they, they turn in and focus on themselves and they become self-focused. 
They stop reaching new people. And the reality is, is this becomes a dying church. It may take years for the church to die, but this becomes a dying church. And in our context of today, in our context and in our text today, I'm amazed that despite these early church creating this authentic community, despite them becoming so close as a group, verse 47 says that the Lord added to the number day by day. This, this, this church became tight. They became close. But guess what? They were able to still add new people every day into their mix and gave them a seat at the table. With that kind of idea in mind, I want to try and bring this to a close by making an observation about this community described, described in Acts and, and in the world around us. You see, as we were getting ready to launch Restoration Church, somebody said something to me that was pretty, pr- pretty, pretty huge for me to get. I said that many of the people who will visit Restoration Church won't understand the love that God has for them until they feel the love that you have for them. Many of the people who visit this church will not begin to know of the love that God has for them until they can feel the love that we have for them. (laughs) Not until they are loved and accepted and extended grace from us will they begin to realize and see the love that God has for them. This is becoming the hands and the feet of Jesus. This is an incarnational ministry. And this is huge for us to understand in the life of Restoration Church. You see, if we fail to welcome and to love people into our midst, we're going to become one of those dying churches from the very beginning. Become self-focused and stops reaching new people. We know that God created us to be in fellowship. We know that God created people to be in fellowship and to have relationship with him and to have relationship with other people. And yet if you look around us, you look at the society in which we live in, <laughs> we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world where broken relationships are the norm. Broken families are way too commonplace. The family unit, which is where... It's supposed to be so much of the relationship can be found. There's supposed to be so much stability in that family unit. Man, becomes a struggle for so many families who deal with repeat brokenness. One out of three children last night went to bed without a father in their home. This is a brokenness of the world in which we live in. And I, I was one of those kids that grew up without a dad. My dad died when I was young. And I was one of those kids that grew up with just mom in the home. And my mom was great. My mom supported me. But there is a deep something inside of me that I felt missed out on. There was that relationship that I needed that wasn't there. Because we are created to be in fellowship and to be in relationship. And the reality is we live in a world where relationships are, are so difficult. We have, we have Facebook and we have Twitter and we have Instagram and all these different things. But you know what people are lacking the most? Authentic relationships. So I want to suggest that just perhaps, just perhaps, one of the reasons that God blessed this early church was because they loved and they accepted and they welcomed new believers into the church. They welcomed new people. 
Sure, new people, they don't always talk the way that we expect Christians to talk. And maybe, maybe they don't act the way that we believe Christians should act. It might not be as safe and as comfortable as we would like when we invite new people into our group. But the early church got to do this. They got to see miracles before them of lives being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They got to see people saved from the depths of sin day after day after day. Because unless people have a place to learn and to watch and to grow and their relationship with Christ, how can we expect them to become mature like us? (laughs) Paul says that new believers are babes in Christ and they must be nurtured to be all that he created them to be. And as a church, when we welcome people into our mix, when we say, come, be with us, come fellowship with us, we become the hands and feet and the visible picture of what it means to follow Christ. And they may come in and they're rough on the edges. People don't always understand what it's supposed to be like. But when we love them through that, they begin to grow and become more like Christ. It's a process of sanctification that we've all been on. We've all been in this process of becoming more like Christ, and it didn't happen overnight. It's a process. If you are new with us this morning, visiting us, I hope that you feel welcomed and loved and accepted. Because as a church, that's what we're trying for. As a church, that's what we're striving for. Because the love and the grace and the acceptance that we are sharing is only a tiny portion of of the love and grace and acceptance that God has extended for each of us and that God is extending to you today. So as we prepare to respond to God's word today, I want to ask the question of what shall we do? I want to challenge us as a church to think through how you and I can create this type of authentic community. How can we create this kind of community that is so devoted to the word of God, devoted to fellowship, devoting to prayer? How can we create this kind of authentic community and continually invite people to be a part of it? How can restoration be a people devoted to these things? And how can we become devoted to these things and still keep that welcoming attitude of inviting new people into our mix? Because really, pastor can say whatever he wants from the pulpit, but it is the people that embody the message. It is the people that become the hands and the feet of Jesus. How can we do this? As we prepared to respond to God's word today. We're going to have the chance to to break bread together, to observe communion. If you are new to the church, the apostle Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians that communion is a way in which we remember the sacrifice of Jesus' life for us. That the bread over here will symbolize Christ's body and the juice symbolizes Christ's blood. And if you are in here today and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come and celebrate with us today, to break bread with us today. Before you come up, we invite you to spend some time before God confessing your sin, 
remembering the sacrifice that he has made for you. When you're ready, we'll have a couple of worship team will come up. We'll play a couple of worship songs. When you have gone before the Lord and you're ready to come up, we'll have the elements on either table. You're welcome to come up on your own time and, and, and come and take the elements. You can take them up here. You can take them back to your seat. We don't take them together. So once you're ready, come up and do it on your own. In a minute, the children are going to, the elementary children are going to come forward. Parents, if your elementary child knows Christ as their Savior, we'd invite you to have them come and, 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 and take communion with you. And I'd, I'd encourage us, the reason we do this is because we want to respond to God's Word. We spoke last week about we can come and we can learn all the knowledge about the Bible that we can. But God's word isn't just about knowledge. It's about transforming us. It's about us asking that question, what shall we do now? We've heard God's word, what shall we do now? Let's respond. Let's respond in repentance. Let's respond through communion. Let's respond through worshiping our Savior. Let me pray.